sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I heard somebody say this once after he'd read the Bible, and I love it. He said, this is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true, and it's given to us because he loves us. Thanks be to God. So who are we becoming? It's the new year. It's a natural time for reflection. It's even a new decade, although that kind of passed me by until about three weeks before Christmas. I suddenly kind of twigged that it was not just a new year coming up, but a new decade. And so the natural question, looking back over the decade, not just over the year, but over the decades, what have the milestones have been of the past 10 years? What are we thankful for? What are we grateful for? Maybe you've had a rocky time. Maybe it's been a bit up and down. What are we glad to have moved on from or what or got through? And then one of the, perhaps the most important questions we can be asking, and I really hope you're asking yourself this at the minute, and if you're not, then I would encourage you to, how have we changed over the past 10 years? Some people have been posting something called decade selfies on the internet. And I found just three. They aren't anybody you know, or at least I hope you don't know them. They were sort of grabbed from Instagram and put on the Daily Mirror or something anyway. But I, I found these. I thought people are posting these pictures of, here's how I was 10 years ago. Here's how I am now. OK? Anybody done this? Anybody done this for yourselves? N nobody brave enough. <laughs> OK. Um, I mean, it's quite interesting, isn't it? And obviously, they posted little um, things. A, a couple of uh, more well-known people are the actor Mark Ruffalo. He seems to have um, a bit less hair than he had 10 years ago. The actress Anne Hathaway doesn't seem to have changed very much at all in the past 10 years. Um, so I thought, oh, well, in, in for a penny, in for a pound. Here's ours. OK? <laughs> Um, Joe would like you to know that it's the same dress that she was wearing 10 years ago for, for my 40th birthday as well as my 50th. Um, and then one other one that made me really smile was, was this one. This is where I really noticed the difference, for us anyway. Um, yeah, I know. Sweet, isn't it? <laughs> Depending on your age and your stage, you know, you might have changed a lot physically over the past 10 years, or maybe less so physically. Personally, I think I've got a few more grey hairs and a few extra pounds. But the question that really interests me is not how I've changed physically or how we've changed physically, but how we've changed and grown emotionally and spiritually over the past 10 years. And indeed, looking into the next decade, how it is that we intend to grow over the next 10. You see, for me, practically, the last 10 years have been quite a major Major deal in my life, moved to Winchester, learned how to be a senior pastor, still learning, learned how to parent teenagers, that's a, that's a learning curve, still learning. <laughs> By the way, as an aside, I've learned this, that the main trick with parenting teenagers or parenting generally is to know when to say sorry and do it quickly. <laughs> that's my learning curve for parenting. Anyway, it's been a massive emotional health journey for me over the past 10 years. The last decade has been about learning to embrace vulnerability, to open up to trusted friends, to express deep emotions, which is a hard thing, particularly for a bloke, to honestly talk to somebody else, another bloke, and say, actually, I found this really hard. I actually felt really deeply about this and whatever. To honestly face up to difficult issues from the past, look at how they've impacted us. Like many of us, like many of you, I'm sure, have learned how to process grief and loss, and try and process grief and loss in a healthy way, to feel the feelings, to work through the pain, to be honest about it, but not wallow in it. To look to grow through it and make good decisions in the face of life's really sometimes 
really, really difficult scenarios. I've learned for myself how to carry leadership responsibility and all that, and all of that entails. Understanding that you just can't meet everyone's expectations all the time, but trusting that God has huge plans for all of us. And learning to embrace the mystery and see the bigger picture. That no matter what it might cost, putting God first will always bring blessing in the longer term. Always. And learning that, that the journey is so much more important than any kind of destination we think we might have. That it's really not about making it or getting there or achieving. And that so much of what our culture and our world calls success is just a load of rubbish, really. And actually, the point about this is how close I am to Jesus while I'm on the journey. How real am I with my family and friends? How intentional am I about making wise and positive choices in my life? How am I thinking about my relationships? How am I doing this in spite of difficult circumstances? Maybe you've had a rubbish year. Maybe you've had a rubbish decade, and I'm sorry if you have. Maybe you just can't wait for the new one. You're just hoping for something better. It's a really good time to press into Jesus. It's a really good time for Reset Month. It's a really good time to believe that God can make a difference if we allow him to come and get close to us, to trust him, to allow his arms to hold us and to acknowledge our need of him. You see, despite being a Christian all my life, it's only as I enter into my sixth decade, I just can't believe I have to say that, sixth decade, that I have actually begun to realise just how much I really need God. I know that sounds obvious, and some of you will have got there a long time before me. I'm obviously just slow. But as I look forward to this next decade, this next year and this next decade, I feel excited. I feel excited for the church and all that God wants to do. I feel excited for my family and how they're growing and all that wants God to do there. But I feel most hopeful and most excited about what God wants to do in me and how if I give him the time and the attention, he will come and continue to stay close to me and renew me. See, the more I live my life, the more I try and spend time with God, the more I realise I simply can't do anything without him. I'm desperate for him. I need him. And I want to live close to him. And I realise how important that is, how important it is to be connected to his presence, how I want that to affect every part of my day. I want to... (laughs) Now, hear this the right way. I want to be the most attractive person in any room I go into. And I don't mean physically. Well, you know, no, no. no. Um, I want to so ooze the presence of God that people can't help but want to come and be near me and hang out and kind of catch or pick up something of what God's doing in my life. I want to be the most mature person in any room I go into, the most grace-filled. You know, when difficult things happen or difficult people kick off, I want to be the one who deals with it in a calm way. And the truth is I'm not there, not by a long stretch, as my family will tell you. I, I know only too well my many, many mistakes, my shortcomings, my repeated irritations, my short temper, my lack of faith, my obvious mishaps. But I do know the kind of person I'm aiming to be, and I know that it won't happen unless I choose to do something about it. So I'm not interested in New Year's resolutions, that's a load of rubbish. I'm interested in reflecting on this question, this question I put up at the start, who am I becoming? Hang on, I didn't have that. You see, we are all becoming someone. And whether you like it or not, whether you plan it or not, and whether you choose it or not, 
we are, the harsh reality is we are all becoming someone. We are all on a journey, irrespective of whether we thought about it, irrespective of how intentional it is, we are all on a journey of growth, change, and transition. We do not stand still. Okay, so the question is not, are we moving? The question is, how are we moving? And how intentional are we being about the things that we're doing? Are we doing the things we're doing because of who we're aiming to become, or are we just doing what's in front of us and hoping for the best? Are we going along for the ride or just dealing with whatever just comes our way every day? Sometimes it's like that. Sometimes life is like that. But this is a great time to be reflecting on this. That quote I just put up, it says, who you're becoming is far more important than what you're doing, and yet it's what you're doing that is determining who you're becoming. Isn't that interesting? Just stop and think, that, think about that for a minute. We're all doing stuff, but have we stopped and thought about where it's leading us and who it is that we're trying to become? There's a phrase that a guy called Stephen Covey put out in the leadership book a long time ago, and the phrase is, begin with the end in mind. The book is called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Highly effective people begin with the end in mind. Um, I was watching the... Um, Sports Personality of the Year, and I saw the England cricket team featured, and of course last summer was their huge moment in the, in the, in the spotlight, and they won the World Cup, the One Day International World Cup um, up in London, and, um, and it, was, it was obviously a very dramatic and special uh, victory for them. Um, but interestingly, as I listened to some of the talk around it, I heard them talking about how this wasn't just a one-off victory, this was the culmination of a four-year journey. How ever since they did really badly in the previous World Cup, they had set a plan in motion to try and become a different team, become a winning team. Yeah, four years ago they did so badly that um, they thought, well, gosh, we were hosting the World Cup in four years in the UK, we've got to do better than this. It wasn't just win at all costs, it was how do I become a winning side? And it affected the key decisions, it affected who, which staff they appointed, they appointed, appointed a specific captain for the one-day team, it affected their leadership plans, their organisation, it, it affected who they selected to play, how they trained, how they trained specifically for the task. It was an intentional plan over four years which had an impact on who they were becoming. You could say they began with the end in mind, and so, with, as in sport, so in sport as in life, we need to keep the end in mind and think about who it is we're becoming. You know, it's more obvious when you're young. You're a kid, you're growing up, you're changing. Physical changes are happening. And as a young person, you're often asking questions like, what's my life going to be about? What am I interested in? What are my passions? What's my hobbies? What am I good at? Who am I going to become? Who am I going to be? As parents, we're often thinking about how to help our kids navigate that journey, how we can encourage them and steer them. But as grown-ups, even though the physical changes slow down, we also need to be asking the same kinds of questions. Who am I becoming? How am I growing and changing? What kind of person do I want to be? And how is what I'm doing affecting what I'm becoming? Last year when we did our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Series, even even two years ago now, um, gosh, time goes by quick, doesn't it? Um, Joe put up this slide from this card, I loved it. And it was about growing old, the difference between growing old and growing up. You see, we can either think of ourselves as done, or we can think of ourselves as in process. I was noticed that song we were singing earlier. I loved it. It's a bit, bit odd to sing at the start. When you, just the, the, the bridge in that song, forgiving Lord, forgiving us. And it just made me think about adjectives and how we could think of ourselves as forgiven. Yes, we are. 
but and he could be forgive. I was just thinking about that whole become becoming thing, forgive, forgiving. You see, it would be easy to say, well, who have I become? Okay, I'm happy. But the question is not who have I become. I mean, that's important on the journey. The question is who am I becoming? This is an ongoing process. And so uh, a couple of times, including just last autumn, we've talked about the goals of an apprentice, the goals of a disciple of Jesus, and how simply put, those of us who are wanting to be apprentices or disciples of Jesus have three goals that we are looking to do. One is to be, be with Jesus. One is to become like him. And the third one is when we become like him, we will do the things that he did. And so if you're looking for goals, if you're looking for reflection points or questions, here's a really good place to start. How am I doing with my discipleship of Jesus? What kind of disciple am I becoming? Who am I becoming? Who do I want to become? And the really crucial question, how do I take the next step? Why don't you just take a minute to do that? Just take a minute. Holy Spirit, show us and speak to us about who we are becoming and who you want us to become. Who am I becoming? I becoming? I would love to encourage you to go home and reflect on that question this week. Maybe the Lord will speak to you right now, but it would be a really good idea to take a moment. And I also have a challenge for you. Okay, here's the challenge. I say this often to people. One of the things in my life that has helped me grow the most has been when I've gone to somebody who I really respect and I've asked them to speak into my life, and I've given them permission to tell me things that I wouldn't necessarily like to hear. And so I've got a challenge for all of us. As you approach 2020, why not go to somebody that you feel safe with, somebody who you trust, somebody who you know loves you and is for you? That's important. And why not then ask them for some honest feedback on how you're doing in terms of emotional and spiritual life? Some questions you might want to ask might be something like, how do you experience me? How do I come across? Where do you think I could grow? Or how do you wish that I was more like Jesus? It's a really brave thing to do to ask someone to give you honest feedback about questions like that. I'm loving this. I'll move out of the way so you can all take my picture. So many people go, yeah, that's a good idea. I'll put this on our Facebook as well later as well. And then the important part is not just to ask them, but then to reflect non-defensively on what they say. Knowing that you've asked somebody who you trust, somebody who you know loves you. And of course, if you're the person who gets asked, be gentle, (laughs) you know, (laughs) obviously. (laughs) Don't be brutal, be gentle. I'm, I'm sure there are some great things, but what an opportunity just to take a moment to ask somebody else how they think you could grow and change this year. How do you wish, how do you wish that I was more like Jesus? If you do this honestly, if we do this honestly and we reflect properly on the results, that should give us plenty to think about as we get into 2020. You know, Jez already talks about reset month. By the way, this sheet that you've got isn't to be handed in. It's not a tick sheet to hand in, like Joe said. The, the, the boxes and the ticks are literally there for your own 
benefit, okay? It's just there for, um, for a reminder or for some fun. And because it's a really good idea to make a response. So I don't, want to, I don't need to go into the details about Reset Month um, again, but we would really, really love you to engage in that. And just two other things that Joe didn't mention, uh, resources that are available at the back. One of the resources that we've got available at the back is this. It's a read scripture plan. This is the same plan that we were working through last year. Um, those of us who were doing the uh, Bible in a year, you can download it on various apps, or you can download, you know, there are loads of apps you can use to read the Bible. But if you're a good old-fashioned paper and pen kind of person, it's got the whole year and it's just a plan. So if you want to pick one of those up at the back and just work through it, you know, take that one, you'll, you'll read the Bible in a whole year. Okay? The other resource that's available to you at the back, or to us at the back, is this. It's called 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting. This isn't just our church. This is something the vineyard churches across the whole of the UK and Ireland are doing during January. Okay? Just taking an opportunity to fast in whatever way is suitable and works for you. I'm certainly not planning to not eat for 21 days, but (laughs) I am planning to miss some meals and I am planning to cut some things out. And more importantly, to take time to pray each day. And there's a prayer focus. And so if you want to join with Vineyard family across the country, grab one of these and just use it. There's a a few little points for each day on how to pray and how we're all, as a movement, praying together in January. What can I do during reset month to take the next step in who I'm trying to be. Who am I becoming? But there's also a wider application to this question, because I did title this talk not just who am I becoming, but who are we becoming? And that's a great question for us to ask as a church at the start of the new year and a new decade. I believe that God has incredible plans for us here at Winchester Vineyard. I was just getting ready this morning, and quite often when I get ready, uh, I put some music on, especially if I'm on my own and Joe's not around. So I, put some, I went to put some music on. I thought, oh, I'm getting ready for church. should probably put some worship music on. Something like that. Um, I thought, oh, maybe not. And I looked, at, and what was on my um, phone already on my app was um, the song Good Times by Chic. Now, those of you who can remember 70s disco will remember. Um, I love that song. I love a bit of disco. I don't tend to dance around to it, but I just I like having it on. It's positive and vibey. And, um, and so I was like, oh, that's interesting. I'll just put that on. And as I was listening to it, I was thinking about the words. And the words are um, not the words of the verses. They're all about drugs and discos. But the, the words of the chorus... <laughs> partying. The, the words of the chorus are this. Good times. These are the good times. Leave your cares behind. These are the good times. Good times. These are the good times. Our new state of mind... These are the good times, okay? State of mind, you can read into that whatever you want. But for me, I was thinking about what I'm talking about today. And I was thinking about how we can choose to make these good times. We can choose to make this year a good year if we adopt an attitude of saying, okay, what has God got for us? Who does he want us to be? Who are we becoming? I'm not trying to deny the fact that some people are having a really hard time in life. I'm not trying to do that. So it's not as obvious as that. It's more nuanced. But I I honestly, genuinely believe 2020 is going to be an amazing year. I believe God wants to bless us. I believe he wants to visit us with his presence again and again. I believe he wants to surprise us as a church, to inspire us, to challenge us, to stretch us, and to help us grow. I believe he wants us to become more like him. He wants to do, in the words of Paul in Romans, immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. He's in our midst. 
And during this month, um, over the next two or three weeks, I want to share with you some of our plans for 2020 and what we feel the Lord is saying. But I want to frame it within this really important question. Who are we becoming? Who are we becoming as disciples of Jesus within this vibrant Winchester Vineyard church family as the body of Christ here in this place, in Winchester and in our communities, wherever you live, who are we becoming? You see, I believe at the minute in our world that we live in, we are in a generation where it's possible, if you choose to, it's possible to try and live a Christian life without really, really being part of a local church community. There are masses of Christian resources available on the web. There's worship music coming out of your ears. There are live events, festivals and conferences that we can attend every few weeks if we want to. There is incredible teaching from all over the planet. It is possible, but in my view, not advisable. (laughs) But it is possible to think of yourself as a Christian and think of yourself as living a Christian life without really making any reference to local church. It's possible in a way that it never was for previous generations. It's possible to pick and choose the elements of faith and God and church family that suit us best and live a life that doesn't really get too involved with people, doesn't really get too messy, but just kind of it's us and God, me and God. And yet when we live that way, we're missing out on so much. And while it might be appealing, it's also incredibly unbiblical and it's also incredibly short-sighted. But most of all, most importantly, it will impact the kind of disciples that we are becoming. Let me read you a quote from a guy called Eugene Peterson. You'll have heard of him. He said this, There is a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. Now, you know this already because most of you are part of this church family. I'm preaching to the converted to him. By the way, if you're not, if you're visiting today, you're really, really welcome. And if you're here and you're not sure about faith, we would love to talk more. And if you're looking for a church to join, we'd love to chat afterwards in our um, meeting and greeting area. But it's important for us as a family to explore a bit more at the start of this year what it means to be disciples of Jesus in 2020 as part of the Winchester Vineyard family. What is God calling us to focus on here? How can we engage and respond? And the passage that I read to you at the start in Acts has some great keys. And so I want to read it to you again. Now, just a little bit showing off here. One of my new Christmas presents. Bought a new, got asked for a new Bible, large print. Okay. That's not because my eyes are getting bad. It's because I like books. And uh, this is the Passion Translation. So it's New Testament only. It's not a a strict translation, but it's a really great version or reinterpret, sort of, it's just a lovely way to read the Bible. And um, because, as I've shared with you, I haven't quite got to the end of the Old Testament yet, um, I thought, when I get to the New Testament, I'm going to read it out of here. Let me read you the same passage again, um, but from this different translation. It says, Every believer was faithfully devoted to following the teachings of the apostles. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another, sharing communion and coming together regularly for prayer. A deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers were in fellowship as one body, and they shared with one another whatever they had. Out of generosity, they even sold their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need among them. Daily they met together in the temple courts and in one another's homes to celebrate communion. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. They were continually filled with praises to God, enjoying the favour of all the people in God, and the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were coming to life. I love that. I love that. You see, although there's some obvious cultural and historic translation needed here, there are, 
I believe this is a beautiful and succinct description of what it means to be an authentic Christian community. And I think there are three things that you can read about here. I've summarized them into three things that characterize this beautiful, early, first church community. One of them is it's a worshipping community. This is, I'm not just talking about worship as in corporate singing, singing together. Well, that's part of it. But there is a pattern of family and community life that includes teaching. Okay, And in their case, it was the teaching that Jesus had given to the apostles, and then the apostles were then passing on to everybody else. It means that's looking at what it means to, to understand God's values and God's purpose and how we put those into practice in society. It means looking at what it is to be a disciple, the kind of stuff we're doing now. It also means fellowship. The word fellowship comes from a Greek word which means we call koinonia. It means participation. It means sharing. It means doing life together. It includes the sharing of material goods, which we'll get onto in a little while. But it means we're together. It means a togetherness and a sharing of life. It talks about breaking bread. And that's both referring to the Lord's Supper, communion, which we're going to celebrate in just a few minutes, where we remember what Jesus did on the cross in the way that he instructed us to. But it also is talking about larger fellowship meals. It's talking about eating together in one another's homes. One of the most intimate things you can do. I wonder how you celebrated Christmas, which of your loved ones, or even just which people, maybe they weren't even people that were particularly well known to you, who you invited into your home to eat with you. Who did we include at our meal tables? Because that says something about who we are and what we value. And lastly, talking about prayer, regular prayer. Prayer meaning worship and prayer and reading the Bible. Prayer meaning gathering like this in large temple courts and in smaller houses daily, it says, regularly. And Jez already said that in February our life groups will kick off again. Actually, this term, we're really excited. And during February and March in our life groups, we're going to, run a, we're going to all hopefully run a course called the prayer course. Very simple course. Pete Gregg and the 24-7 prayer guys have put it out. And it's just a course that helps us to engage with worship and prayer and praying in different ways. This is a community that was devoted to Jesus-centered worship in larger and smaller gatherings. I love this quote from Eugene Peterson from the same book. He says, worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. You see, we do this anyway. We do it whether we're feeling like it or not. Worship doesn't satisfy our hunger for God. It whets our appetite. Our need for God is not taken care of by engaging in worship. Our need for God deepens as we engage in worship. So when it's a cold winter night or you just don't want to go out to life group or you just don't want to be at church today or it's a hot sunny day and you just want to be on the beach or whatever, you know, we don't come to church because of how we feel. We come to church because of who we're wanting to become. We engage in this pattern of worship and prayer. We receive communion, not because we're perfect, but because of who we want to become. What kind of worshippers do we want to become in 2020, guys? What kind of worshippers do we want to become? The second thing I think that this community in Acts was characterised by is by being a spirit-filled community. It says that they were characterised by the power and the presence of God's Holy Spirit among them. It says signs and wonders and miracle, or miracles were performed regularly and there was a sense of awe. Now a sense of awe meaning a reverent fear. I mean, I mean a, wow, look what God is doing. Oh my goodness, can I be part of this? 
I'm not going to go into this one too much today, but we talk about this a lot. Stewarding God's presence is one of the highest values of our church here. It's so much a part of what we do. We're here to make a difference, not just stewarding God's presence here on a Sunday, but in our everyday lives. As we go to work, as we go into our communities, as we go and do the things we need to do, we go with God's presence with us. We practice the presence of God. It's the Spirit, as I spoke on just, just before Christmas, the Spirit helps us to grow more like Jesus, and the Spirit helps us to do the works of God's kingdom. And the only way we can basically live is with the presence of God. We want to be a Spirit-filled community. It's a worshipping community. It's a spiritual, Spirit-filled community. And lastly... It's a generous community. It says in that passage that this little church held all things in common. By the way, it wasn't a little church. It said they started with 3,000. So it's obviously a bunch of little churches or one big church. It says they sold their possessions and belongings and distributed to anyone in need. Now, when you read that thing, held all things in common, it might be easy to think, oh, that sounds a bit like communism. You know, everybody owns everything. And I'm not sure that was the case. I'm not sure that's how it was. Because if you read around the subject, you can see that the the giving was voluntary. It wasn't compelled, like in the government or something. Um, And people still had their own personal possessions. They still met in their own homes and and things. There's a passage in Acts 4 that goes into a little bit more detail about this. It's Acts 4, verse 32. Just a couple of verses from that. It says, all the believers were in one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. And then it talks about practically how from time to time those who own land brought it, brought money from the sales. And it talks about one of the leaders, the, uh, who, Barnabas, Joseph, who they all called Barnabas, and how he, in fact, brought the money from a field that he owned. But I love that verse That phrase in verse 32, I think this is the hub of it, the nub of it. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. You see, it can be so easy, can't it, to be focused on what we have, on what we're accumulating, on the perceived comfort and influence that that can buy us. That's how our culture works. That's what our culture says to us. Again, one more quote from Peterson. He says, we care more for our possessions with which we hope to make our way in the world than with our thoughts and dreams which tell us who we are in the world. There's a lot in even just that, isn't there? It's so easy to lose sight of the generosity of the one who literally gave everything for us. That's why we're celebrating communion again. We lose sight of our need for him, we lose sight of our reliance on him, and we start to rely instead on ourselves. And that's a slippery slope. And the more we aim, But the more we aim to emulate him and his generosity, the more we become like him. You know, I spoke about this in September quite at length. As, as a pastor, as, as pastors and leaders of the church, it's our job to help people live according to what the Bible teaches. Not so that, and that includes finances and money. And that's not so the church can get loads of money, but it's because it's absolutely the best way to be a disciple of Jesus. Because it means so much to God, what we do with our time, what we do with our resources, what we do with our energy, and what we do with our wallets. And, you know, back in September, I apologised to you guys as a church for just assuming that we were doing that without necessarily talking it through. And many of us are living this way. This is a generous church, and you are generous people. I know that because in the autumn, we saw it demonstrated in some miraculous ways. Our September heart offering raised £100,000. It 
was amazing. We were able to give out of that a really generous gift to all of our mission partners. We were able to fix the holes in our roof. By the way, I've never shown you, but just so you know, this is what it actually looks like on top of the roof now. Okay, This is where a bunch of that money went. We now have no more leaks in the roof. We can fix up the plaster work. There's, there's no more drips. There were literally various places. You can see the guys have done a really nice job there. And uh, this, this, just for those of you who are technically minded, this little channel in the middle that used to drain through the building now drains outside the building like this. Beautiful, okay? It used to drain through the building and back up. You see, for me, this was an incredible, incredible example of God's provision and the church's generosity. My faith just went up like there. It was a lesson for us personally in our leadership and our faith. But truthfully, it doesn't end there. My faith doesn't stop at £100,000, even though I'm celebrating that big time. God's generosity goes further than that, and I want mine to go further than that as well. And I believe that that's what he wants for us as a church. I do believe that what happened in 2019 was a kind of, honestly, I believe it was a practice run for what God wants to do in the future in terms of challenging all of us to lift our eyes and lift our faith. Now, so you can relax. I'm not about to announce a huge project. <laughs> so, no, no. But, you know, honestly, in 2020, we have a budget for this year and we are going to need some more resources to see what we, to see happen what we believe God wants us to do. We are going to have to see our regular giving go up a bit this year. I will give you more details about that next week. I'm not worried about it. I don't have sleepless nights about it. God has provided for us so beautifully and generously as a community that I'm just looking forward to seeing how he wants to do it again. And so, as I said, I, that, I want to be part, but I want to be part of that ongoing story. And, um, you know, last quote from Peterson, we can decide to live in response to the abundance of God and not under the dictatorship of our own poor needs. I love that. And for me, so I'm not advocating literally holding everything in common. That's not practical. But I am asking the challenging question at the start of the year in terms of money, possessions and generosity, who are we becoming? Who are we wanting to become? So I'm done and we're going to have communion. But just to sum up, in 2020 and beyond, who are we as a church becoming? A worshipping community, a spirit-filled community? <laughs> There's a typo here. It doesn't say generous, it says genius. <laughs> a genius community, a generous community. I'll unpack that a bit more next week. But in the meantime, what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate communion together. So if you're part of, if you're coming to, um, uh, if you're coming to help us lead communion this morning, why don't you come up? That would be great. And I'd love to read a passage uh, from 1 Corinthians. And again, I'm going to read it out of this lovely Passion Translation of the Bible. Just kind of turns the words around in a bit that really inspires me anyway. Why don't we stand together?